Now that was weird. <laughs> Some of you know I have a band called Johnny Rash and the Measles. And uh, this is my foray into acting. Yeah, I know. So next Sunday, come, because you'll see the whole thing. And it'll make sense next Sunday. So we'll be, we're coming toward the end of this series called Impact YXE. And we've been having a good time just talking about how we can make an impact in our city. As you know, Christianity uh, is embraced by over two billion people, a third of the world. And it began uh, 2,000 years ago with Jesus Christ. He had no money, no manpower really, uh, no political clout. He was on the fringes of society. People didn't like him. His message was not embraced that well. And here we are today. It's so different. And it wasn't their holy book, it wasn't their doctrine, it wasn't what they believed. It was the fact that the early believers were generous. Their generosity caught the attention of people. And because Christians were generous with others, they came to wonder, what was it that we believe? And many people embraced Christianity for that reason. And today I would argue that the reputation of Christians isn't all that great. In any environment, if you talk with people long enough, there are many who think that Christians are hypocritical, homophobic. Uh, there's lots of adjectives for Christians these days. And often Christian, Christians are a big mouth against something. And really, Jesus was a big mouth for something. And once we understand the ways of Jesus, I think Christianity could be embraced and welcomed. So I want to just say welcome to all those who are listening online. I want you to know that your message notes are inside your program this morning. You can also access them on your your. Uh, smartphone, go to the Bible app, version. click more, click events, click circle drive, and the notes will come up. You can add them, add to them, you can save them, and for sure that you can, you can share them. Now, if you scroll down to the bottom of your notes, you'll see the Parent Q app. Please, if you're a parent or grandparent, make use of this app. If you're an uncle or an aunt, uh, enter in your, ch your child, uh, your grandchild, your niece or nephew's um, birth date, and it will give you some great information. It'll give you some conversation starters. As you know, what really impacts kids is a relationship with an adult. So use that tool to help you. Please like us on social media and follow us and share us. That will be helpful. So last week we talked about the Challenges of wealth. As you know, we said uh, from the very start that we are the wealthiest people in the world. If you have a household income of between forty-four and $45,000, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. And so we're rich. And the problem is we don't feel rich. 
You ask anybody if they're rich and they'll say, mm, no, not really. But really, when you examine the facts, we are rich. And so we want to talk about uh, how is it that we as wealthy people should use our resources. So there's some uh, information in the Bible that helps us get on track. Now, I pray all the time that you will be massively wealthy. The scriptures tell me that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I always pray, God, would you give a couple of hills to some of our people? Because I want you to be wealthy. But I also want you to be good at being wealthy. So last week we talked about the challenge of wealth that it produces a disease. Remember we talked about Jenner and his discovery of uh, vaccines that treat influenza and other diseases. And we said that wealthy people have a disease and it's called affluenza. And affluenza causes bouts of arrogance and chronic dislocated hope. And so there's an antidote for that. There's, a, there's a, something that will help us overcome this. So the antidote for dizzying effects of wealth is really generosity. Remember what Abraham Maslow said. He said, what is necessary to change a person is to change his awareness of himself. So we need to both be aware of how much God has given us. We are some of the wealthiest people in the world, but we also need to be aware of all of the marketing that around us that creates discontentment. It creates discontentment. There's a constant desire because uh, the way we're built and the way we respond to marketing is that it creates discontentment. And there's a constant desire to have more. And that leads us to consume more than we need. And so we left off with some great advice from a man named Paul in 1 Timothy 6, where he says, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. There's no hearse with a U-Haul. Like, we come in with nothing and we leave with nothing. And in between is life. But, he says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. So, with awareness of an eternal perspective and how we develop priorities, we can carve out a life of, of contentment. All of us, like Scotiabank says, we're richer than we think. And the problem is that we don't often feel wealthy. Now, the richest I ever felt, there's several times, but one of the, the times I felt so rich was when I graduated high school and I took a job in menswear at Edelman's department store. Now, if you were born be, be, uh, after 1980, you don't know where Edelman's was. But it was on the corner of 20th Street and Avenue B, before 20th Street was cool. And across the street from Edelman's was a seedy hotel, and on the other kitty corner was a seedy hotel. And uh, I was in men's fashions. 
that doesn't go together, Edelman's and fashions. But anyways, I worked in the men's department there. And I lived in my parents' basement, paid no rent, like many millennials. And um, I bought a motorcycle, so my gas bill was about $2 a week. I had a bank account. I saved a little bit, spent most of it on entertainment and restaurants. I felt rich. I felt like a king. And it was because of this word, this word margin. Margin makes us feel rich. And another time I felt really rich was uh, we, Bev uh, and I got married. And she was living in a basement suite. I was living in my parents' basement. And when I got married, I moved in with Bev. And we were in this little tiny basement suite. She was working for an insurance company. I was in marketing with Campbell Soup Company. And so we felt like we had money coming out of our years. And we had margin. Six months after we were married, we felt like we needed to go to uh, Bible college, to seminary. So we moved to Regina. And we lived, we bought a house. We bought a house. And that's um, being generous. It was just a tiny little house within walking distance of the college. Bev worked for the federal government. And our mortgage was really tiny, as tiny as the house. Uh, our living room was central. Off the living room was the kitchen. Off the living room was the bathroom. Off the living room was the master bedroom. And to get to the second bedroom, you had to go through the first bedroom, the master bedroom. It was tiny. Our married friends lived in apartments near the college, and they were paying more for rent than we were paying for our mortgage. It was beautiful, beautiful. We had a big backyard and a little house on the property, and uh, it was great. We had margin. It was a great life. Then Bev and I, in ministry, we walked together through uh, poverty areas of the world. We just felt that, that as we read Scripture, we felt that God had favorites. And you know who his favorites are? His favorites are the poor. God is for the poor. And so we were in Santiago, Chile, back in uh, the early 90s, or the late 90s, and we went through an orphanage in Chile, and that was just an eye-opener. We'd never seen an orphanage in a third-world kind of setting. And we just felt so rich. And then our daughter uh, moved to New York City, to Brooklyn, and she was working for an organization called Metro World Child at the time, which is the largest Sunday school in poverty areas in the world. And her area was in Harlem. And our daughter took us on visitation. So all of the kids that came to her program on the sidewalk she would visit every week just to see if they have food and they're alive. And so when Bev and I walked into this apartment, and you have to understand, this was the former New York Giants uh, stadium area where 
they knocked down the stadium, built a new one. And so this, the city of Harlem built two high-rise apartments, and there were 60,000 residents just in this little field of, of, uh, Brook, of Harlem. You can just imagine. I mean, that's, a, that's bigger than North Battleford and Prince Albert combined in this little area, congested. And it just oh, it doesn't go well when you have that many people living there. And when we walked into the apartment, the first thing we noticed was the dry smell of urine. And people would just do their thing in the corner of, under the stairwell and, and we'd knock on the door and they'd open the apartment, these little tiny apartments, and there'd be a whole family living in there in tight quarters. And they were so happy to see us. Why would these, you know, white people, these rich people, they thought, come and visit them? We just wanted to say hi. Glad you come and bring your kids to the, to the program. And then Bev and I went to Haiti to follow our daughter. She was working in an orphanage there. And I, we saw poverty like I've never seen third world poverty like in Haiti. It was staggering. And when we came home, it was like, I'll never be the same. I just won't. I can't look at the world dif uh, the same way. I can't look at my finances in the same way. I'm rich compared to the, to the rest of the world. And there's, there's an obligation that we have because of all of this wealth. And so margin, I, I just want to say, margin is the key to feeling rich. And when we focus on our wealth and the accumulation of wealth, something happens. We, we talked about this over the last couple weeks. It's called the migration of hope. We begin to transfer our trust to our wealth instead of the one who gives us our wealth. And remember, we said this together. I will not place my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. Let's say this together again. I will not place my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. And that's what every Jesus follower is called to do. And Paul indicated that godliness with contentment is great gain. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of these things. Because there's a migration of hope. Once we start accumulating stuff, we start trusting that stuff. And so we've been focusing on this piece of wisdom in 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world, and command means to instruct, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides. In other words, why would you trust your provision when you can trust the provider? Put your hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. So how do you make sure your hope doesn't migrate and become misplaced? And we considered the risk of our, our hands closing around our stuff because we think we need to hoard and save our way into safety. But how do we safeguard ourselves from misplacing our trust to stuff? 
And the next verse, Paul kind of answers the question. Because listen carefully, this could be disturbing. This really could be disturbing. If you're not a churchgoer, you're not a Jesus follower, and think that the, the church just wants your money, hang on. This advice does not have to do with giving to the church. It is talking about how to prevent yourself from misplacing your trust in something that is uncertain. It says command, again, it means instruct, and here comes the instruction. Do good. <laughs> Do good. Not even be good, although that's a pretty good idea. But to do good. And again, all people need to do good. And here he's specifically talking to rich people and saying, you need to be outstanding in being good. Really outstanding. And then notice, and be rich in good deeds. He emphasizes this. And when you are rich, you have resources. You have more opportunities to do good. You have more discretionary time and more money, and you have more options. And the time and money can be eaten up by things we, ju we do just for ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying wealth or enjoying hobbies or enjoying activities or going places. Nothing wrong. I'm not saying don't do any of those things. Hear me. I'm just saying in all of this, he says, do good. Be rich in good deeds. But the warning and the instruction is that when you have more time and money, you'll be tempted to waste time and to waste money. And isn't it true when we have extra the temptation is to waste. Now, there's a big difference between the Western world and the third world. Most of you have to work, only work five days to have seven days of food. And you only have to work five days to have a roof over your head for seven days. Now, we work five days to have food and shelter, and we take this for granted. In fact, we think it's our right to have two days off, and in some cases a banking day, and then there's vacation days, Remembrance Day, and Thanksgiving, and you know, I don't know, all those days. We think it's our right, and we need vacation pay. Think about this. We work 60 hours a week. We sleep eight hours a day, which is 56 hours which means we have 52 hours a week of discretionary time, extra time. Most people in the world don't have 52 hours of discretionary time. I know some people that work with subsistence farmers in Africa, and it takes the whole family to work a little plot of land to produce food for their family. And they're doing that from sunup to sundown in fact, your kids can't even go to school because they're so focused every waking minute trying to make a living. Now, I hear often, I'm so busy. I know you are. So am I. Those of us who have extra time have extra responsibility. So Paul says, when you get rich, don't be average rich. Be rich in good deeds. Because 
He knows when you're rich, you'll have more opportunities to do more good for people. So don't let all of your time be consumed on you. That's what he's saying. He said that's what bad rich people do. And then he goes on in the verse and he says, be generous and willing to share. Why does he state this? Isn't it the assumption that rich people are generous? Now, actually, the opposite is true. In Canada, the more we make, the less generous we are. Did you know that? The more we make, the less generous. And that is generally rich people wish to save and secure their way to safety. So here's the thing. Rich people give larger sums of money, but smaller percentages. That's why I say rich people give less than those who are not. And in God's economy, he's not impressed with the dollar amount. He's concerned with percentages. Now, to illustrate this, I want to tell you a story that Jesus uh, told. It was recorded. He brought his disciples over to the temple. The temple was the center of, of Jewish culture. And he parks himself and the disciples down. They're sitting there. They're watching the temple. And, and in the temple... Uh, when you came out into the door, there was kind of a bucket or a, what we would call an offering plate. And so people coming in or leaving would just, you know, they'd give their, their money, their offering. And Jesus has them watch something. And all these people are lined up to give. And in Mark 12, it says that Jesus sat down in the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting money into the temple treasury. So they were watching them line up, and one by one they were putting their donation in there. And it says many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, I guess they could tell that they were putting in large amounts because, well, the rich people wanted to be seen, and so they would put their offering in and they were not conspicuous. It was just kind of like, kerpunk! This hunk of money would just, boom! And everybody would watch and say, whoa! That's a lot of money coming in there. It was a big deal. And then it says in verse 42, a poor widow came in and put two very small copper coins worth a few cents. Now, if you grew up in a church in a different translation, you heard the phrase, Widow's might. You heard that one? Okay. This word came from the Greek text, and it describes the currency known in Palestine at that day. And it was a currency so small, it was immeasurable. And she, she put this in the plate where the rich people were putting in their big offerings. And so you can just imagine, these rich people would come... Kerpunk! And the next rich person would come. Kerpunk! And the widow Mike, the widow comes along and goes, clink. And everybody knew it was just little. And all the rich people were putting in big amounts. Now, you have to know that this little clink was equivalent of one. 128th of a denarius, and a denarius was a day's wage. So she gave the equivalent of about six minutes into the treasury. 
because that's all she had. Now listen to what Jesus said. Verse 43, he says to his disciples, hey guys, look at this. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And the disciples were like, what? Say what? More? Hey, Jesus, go get your, your hearing checked. You need a hearing aid. Didn't you hear it? Clink! Clink! That clink wasn't more than the guys who gave the clink! And Jesus said, no, no, no. She gave more than the others. Others gave thousands, but she gave all she had. I mean, these guys gave out of their abundance. They gave some of their Apple stock and Amazon stock and gold bars and coins and so on. But Jesus would say, listen, zeros on the end of the numbers don't move me. Percentages move me. That's what Jesus was saying. This is why rich people can give less than poor people. And Jesus pointed out that in the kingdom of heaven, it's about percentage giving, not about the numbers of dollars giving. And then he closes it in verse 44, and he says, hey, they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all that she had to live on. And so here is what Paul is stating, and Jesus was teaching. For those who hope to be rich, those who are rich and deny it, Rich people should give large sums and higher percentages. And Paul is stating, I want you to be rich in good deeds and I want you to be generous. Not just average generous. Everybody is to be generous. I want you to be above average generous. Whether that's a clink or a clink. The percentage should be generous. That's what Jesus and Paul are saying. You say, so what? With your income, I'm going to suggest to you, pick a percentage and live on it. Pick a percentage and live on it. Now, I understand this is a hard battle. You will battle this all your life. This Friday is Black Friday. Already people are advertising sales for Black Friday, and it's not even Black Friday. It's a marketing machine. And then the, the following Monday is Cyber Monday, like spend your money on the cyber web. You know, spend, spend, spend. But most of us don't think in terms of percentages, except when we do our year-end tax. And I want you to think about this now before tax season. You, here's what I know about you. You are already living on a percentage. You're already living on a percentage. And most of you don't know what that is. So you need to pick a percentage of your income and live on it. Just live on it. You don't have to budget. Uh, that, I don't care about budgets. Just 
pick a percentage and stick to it. You know what I know about Canadians? I heard this week that Canadians, for every dollar they earn, they spend $1.78. Where did they learn that from? The government. <laughs> I'm not a prophet, but I know this. Someday, it's going to come home to roost and our economy is going to crash. We think as Canadians, oh, it'll never crash. We have such good banking rules and what happened in the States 2008 will never happen in here. Don't fool yourself. If you're spending $1.76 for every dollar you earn, you don't have to be Einstein. It is going to come to bite you in the you-know-where. So pick a percentage. Just pick a percentage and live on it. Now, you may not like the, the results of the one you live on by chance. So pick a percentage. Actually, go low. Go low. And I promise you that you will not regret it. In about 40 years, you'll, you'll, you'll track me down in the nursing home. You'll ring up. They'll say, you'll say, they'll say, it's Circle Drive Special Care Home. Yeah, can I talk to Pastor Alden, that retired guy? You, I'll come on, hello? Hello? And you won't say, I hate you because you taught me how to live on a percentage. I think you'll say thank you because I'll save you from a buttload of problems. So pick a percentage, and with that comes margin. Secondly, pick a percentage that you will save. Pick a percentage you will save. Now, I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to believe. You're going to hear this, and you're going to say, oh, come on. No, people aren't that dumb. So before I tell you that, uh, let me just say that if you win a lottery, you're lucky, right? I mean, lotteries and luck go together. So in fact, if you win a lottery, there's a, there's a greater chance of you being struck by lightning, not once, but twice. So you have a greater chance of being struck by a lightning by lightning twice than winning a lottery. Now, let me tell you something. 40% of Canadians said they expected lottery winnings would be a significant factor in their retirement well-being. So just around you, count 10 people. And four of them <laughs> have lost their mind. <laughs> now, here's something else. Okay, stop looking at the people around you, all right? Just leave them alone. 30% of North Americans pay the minimum on their credit card, on their credit card balance. 
that doesn't even pay the interest, which is compounding. Now, why do I tell you this? If you don't have margin, it keeps you from being what you want to be, which is generous. There's something inside of you that responds. You want to help people who are poor and in need. But unless you pick a percentage to live on and a pick, pick a percentage to save, you will be in bondage. And finally, pick a percentage you will give away. And Jesus said, I evaluate your spirituality more or less based on the ratio of income to giving and saving and spending. I don't care how much you know. I don't care if you've read the Bible 50 times. But if we're failing here, you are, cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. You can't. And here's what I know about most Canadians. They don't pick a percentage to give. They are spontaneous and emotional givers. You see pictures of hungry children, and you give something. Knock, 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 knock. Oh, it's a lung association. It's a cancer society. It's uh, whatever. They want something. You give them five bucks and you think, ah, oh, so generous. Until tax time, you realize, what? I only gave this? So at the end of the day, you give, but you don't think in terms of percentages. You may feel generous. And then you feel what Jesus says or what he sees. And most people are actually greedy. And you will never become a good, rich person because Good rich, pe rich people give higher percentages and then therefore they give more. Now here's how this works practically and what I would suggest. I would suggest you decide a percentage of your income and you would give that first. In fact, just automate it. And that priorizes someone over the, yourself. And that way, you don't give leftovers. Okay? Now, some of you say to me, I'm so far in debt, I can't give. Even if you're in debt, give a percentage, whatever that is, 1%, whatever. But if you're struggling financially, I don't want to just talk at you. I want to offer you help. And we have a, a money course coming in January for 10 weeks to help you reduce your debt, increase your saving, so that you can decide to be more generous. During YX, Impact YXE, we are going to be generous to several of our partners. You saw Pastor Jim this morning. And next Sunday, we will give a special donation so we can share with them. But in the long run, in addition to your local church, pick two or three places you will give a percentage to carry on the good work that they do. If you have children attending a church in another city, they're going to university, your kid can't afford to give. So send that church a donation. Just say, thank you for in inputting into my child. When you give to organizations, they capture your heart. So... Make use of the money course and give. This morning, we have a special guest with us, Don Meikle from EGADS. Don is coming now. Come and join me on the platform, Don. 
Don is, uh, has been with EGADS for 26 years. Would you welcome Don Meikle to our platform? Good to see you, Don. I'll hold this in the right place. Okay. So just uh, tell us uh, a little bit about our ladies, both in Mum Circle and in the paint night, mm -hmm. are collecting uh, material goods for babies. And can you just tell us a little bit about why you would receive these gifts and why do you, how do you minister to, how do you help those, those girls? These are mainly single moms. Mainly single moms, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what we do is um, we are big believers in um, keeping mothers and children together. Um, we believe that it's quite a bit easier just to take children away from their, their parents and put them into a care facility or put them in care um, well, we're not going to, the world is never going to get better um, until we start bringing back that sense of family, that sense of community. Um, you know, we, if you think about this long time ago, uh, many, many years ago, my parents, my grandparents talked about how they would help their neighbor. Um, we've seen the loss that we get all wrapped up in, in, in what we're doing. And um, so with our baby and our moms and baby programs is, we believe that it's important to um, reunite those mothers and children and keep them together and provide so they can pr have the opportunity to provide for their children. So um, donations like this um, helps us because a lot of people don't understand that when mothers work really hard and they, they get out of the street life or they get away from that stuff, that the help that they receive is less. Um, if their child's in care, they get their, you know, they get lots of opportunity um, to get the children back. But once they're back, or once we're trying to help them, um, there's less aid and less help for them. What all of us know, who work with uh, people at uh, particularly children and youth at risk, is that adult involvement in a child's life, and even in a, in a vulnerable person's life, matter and you do that. And I want to say thank you for your work in the community. I've read your annual report, I've looked through your financial statements. And can you just give us maybe an example of, say, a person who was in a bad situation that you've walked with? Um, well, I'll just give you one that she's still, like she's doing really well. Um, we had a young mom that um, was in a gang house. Um, she was involved in, with a gang and she had an eight-year-old son. And one day she was, there, she was sitting with all these people doing crystal meth and um, drugs and everything else and, and being involved in criminal activity. One day she looked at her eight-year-old son sitting there and she goes, I can't do that. I can't bring um, my son to this and, and have my son go the same way. So she came and talked to our coordinator um, and two years later, she's in university. Um, she's doing extremely well. And, and, the, and the cool thing that I, I, I really want to say is, this is not, um, this is not hard. Like this is not just one in a, in a million or one in a whole bunch of, um, it happens lots. As long as we provide that support and love and care and, and that sense of family, um, you know, I liked what you said, you know, um, we can 
be that surrogate family to mm -hmm. provide that, right? Because we have a lot of assumptions that everybody just gets better or everybody should parent their children. But if you've been raised in care and you've been raised in a dysfunctional home, you don't know how to parent, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where we've kind of lost that over the generations. I, I was sitting in, in here this morning and I was listening. And I say this to moms all the time. The time that we're going to lose our moms and, and our children and are going to be in long-term care is when they quit hearing their children cry. So it's really a blessing to be able to hear these children cry. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Thank you, Don, for being here. Thank, Thank you. you for what you do. We bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the ladies in Mum Circle and the ladies at the parent the paint night that will bring baby supplies, uh, things like uh, even toddler, baby and toddler clothing. Uh, if you have strollers or, or car seats that are unexpired, uh, baby formula and bottles that are unused and unopened, disposable diapers, gently used toys and games, quilts and blankets. We can give this in Jesus' name. And we can trust that some of these vulnerable people will be rescued from a life of destruction. And it's their first step towards God. And it's their first step towards hope. So thank you, Don, for being with us this morning. I would not be standing here this morning if it were not for hundreds of volunteers in the back who give their time. I just say, give your time. In fact, that's why we're doing good during Impact YXC and donating our time to serve. And we pray that you would volunteer to capture your heart. That you would be exposed to the positive benefits of generosity. We all do better when we are generous. You can sign up to serve at City Center on December 7th. I think there's an insert in your program or just go to the Information Center. You can give two hours of your time on Friday night, December 7, and make a difference in those who are less fortunate than us. Would you volunteer? Hundreds of people have volunteered this morning to make this service possible. The band and vocalists and technicians spend two hours on a Tuesday night rehearsing. They learn the songs. They, they gather here at 8 in the morning. And they do it so that we can have 20 minutes of just singing to God together. There are 200 children's volunteers, and some of them are in the back this morning taking care of almost 200 children back there. They do that because they have given their time. They've decided to give a percentage of their time to serve kids and to, through that serve their God. Would you be generous with your time and would you serve? Now, let me close with this thought. Spontaneous serving and giving is good, but pre-decided is even better. Pre-decided is even better. We all need a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. And we have disposable time that when we offer it to God, we can impact lives for good and for eternity. What makes the world go around and the church thrive and organizations impactful is when people decide to pick a percentage and give it. And they actually give it. 
and they decide to be unselfish with their time and they serve with their time. That's what makes the world go round. And I'll tell you something even better. If every Christian predecided to be generous, can you imagine what kind of a world we'd have? Can you imagine how our community would function? And you would be a better rich person as a side benefit. You would not waste resources. You would avoid debt. Your heart would change. And the people on the outside would be attracted to the Jesus that you serve. And the reputation of Jesus and his church would change in this city and in this nation. And you know what? Saskatoon Shines would not just be a slogan. It would literally change this community. All of us here want to leave a legacy. All of us here want to, our life to count. We want to have an impact. And we can impact YXE by giving a percentage of our time, living on a percentage of our income, and giving a percentage of our wealth. Would you stand with me? In the end, for those of us who know Christ, we'll enter into the kingdom of heaven. We'll be there forever. And the way I read my Bible is there will be rewards to those who have given faithfully in service to Christ. Ah, I want that for you in the life beyond, but I want something even equally as great here on earth. I want your life to count. I want you to make an impact. I want for you to feel margin and freedom. Would you go in peace? Would you be stirred by what we've talked today? And may God help you to put in practice what we've talked today. And could I also say to the hundreds of people who give their time and who give their resources, thank you. You are making a difference. God bless one and all.